OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Mirrodin Besieged is coming soon, and StarCityGames.com is your source for boxes, cases, fat packs, intro packs, complete sets, and singles. Head on over to StarCityGames.com and pre-order Mirrodin Besieged today. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 50 of Yo MTG Taps. This is Joey Pasco, joined by Big Head Joe, of course, as always. Hi. Um, we also have two special guests. First up, of course, one of our favorite people to have on the show, returning guest Patrick Chapin. Hey, what up? And a newcomer to the Yo MTG Taps land, I suppose. Uh, Magic's version of Mr. T. We've got Jerry T. Thompson. What's going on? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Oh, people, do people at home even realize Jerry's sitting in a snowstorm right now? I'm trying to set the scene for them. Picture Jerry in the back of a car with like ice covering most of the windows, a tiny little hole in the windshield for them to try to see out, creeping along 12 miles an hour. That's dedication. That really That's is. That's what Jerry would like drive... What is this, like 30 miles uphill both ways in a snowstorm just to get to the OTG Taps interview? Yeah, that we're, is. We're going, about, we're going about 15, and I'm sitting in the front seat. But other than that, it's pretty much dead on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're in Minnesota, right? Is that, is that right, Jerry? Minnesota, yeah. M- Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, hope you're not headed to, uh, to the Monday night football game or anything. So. No, God, no. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jerry. Jerry, you're not on your way to the football game, Jerry? No, no. Just missed it, sorry. Yeah, just not going to be able to make it there, huh? So, uh, Patrick, do you want to tell people about the music that they just heard as the uh, intro music to the episode? Uh, It's not going to be for a little bit, but that's a snippet from uh, a track that that Bill Bolden and I are working on, uh, a.k.a. Sprook. Um, some people may have heard of some of his work. Uh, he did, he, you know, he did some magic-related music uh, under the name of The Gathering relatively recently. And uh, him and I are working on an album that's, uh, that's going to be coming out in a couple months, and that's a snippet from one of the tracks. You know, it's just something fun we're doing. You know, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely really, you know, pretty impressive. I really like it. Um, I I have heard of uh, The Gathering. Uh, a little bit, I guess about a year ago, I think it's around the first time I heard of them or, or maybe like nine months ago or something. But I, the, uh, the tracks I've heard are what shuffle them up, uh, still had all these and, uh, never, <laughs> never was on the pro tour. I think are the three tracks. That never I- was on the pro tour. Exactly. Never had no deep. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's the one. So, uh, do you know, uh, do they have a, like a website? Or anything, because um, I, I don't even know where I got those tracks from. It, it's been so long. Uh, I know you can. Da- I know you can download them on iTunes. Okay. Uh, if you look for yeah, if you look for the Gathering mm-hmm. uh, or Spruik, you can find his work on iTunes. You know, and uh, the like he does like on the Gathering stuff. He does the uh, he does the the production and the rest. And then him and I are working on something where I, mean, I don't like. I'm very amateur in terms of the beats, so fortunately he is a mastermind in that department. But uh, I'm definitely doing some vocals and and just having some fun with it. But for now, if you want to take a look at some of his previous work, definitely check iTunes, you know, The Gathering. 
Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So uh, what actually prompted you to, to want to do this? I don't know. I just like making stuff and, I don't know, like talking about magic and just having some fun, you know? I always like music, and, and there's so much magic media, magic entertainment, places to explore magic that haven't been, that people haven't been looking at, you know? Because, I mean, like, books, TV shows, internet programs, uh, magazines, um, newspapers, websites, uh, comedies, serious movies, fiction, documentaries. There's, you know, music, I mean, the poetry. I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. And magic is such a rich and deep culture. There's so much to it. There's so many incredible people that are a part of it. Having this thing, this common bond between us, this culture between us, gives us a whole other language to, to, to communicate. And, and one of the many, many ways you can do that is with music, you know? And it's just something fun to do. Yeah, it does. It seems like a lot of fun. And I uh, I definitely like the track. I had it in my head uh, after you played it for us. Um, it, it was uh, – I, I couldn't remember, obviously, the – the uh, the verse lyrics, but the chorus was stuck in my head a couple days later. So uh, I have to agree with uh, this being a whole different language. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten tangled up trying to explain to a girl on a first date about like the podcast and stuff. It's like, oh boy. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the king of first dates. Let's just put it that way. I'm telling you, the technology in that you got to keep it simple. The more you try to explain, the more complicated it gets. And then the more it just seems like such a big thing that's so hard to wrap one's mind around. If you if you summarize it in one sentence, boom, it's no problem. You know, like you do a podcast uh, about a game that you love, you know, or even it's uh, or even like referring to it and like if you just turn it as a card game, you know, if you just describe it in terms of being a combination of poker and chess, and that's it. That's all they need to know. You don't have to get into the dragons and, you know, how many loyalty it takes before a, a cough of the hammer can ultimate allowing you to use your mountains because of the emblem you have, which is really difficult in the primeval titan head-to-head matchup. I mean, like, but no, seriously, like, I mean, everybody can, I mean, not everybody can relate to a shivan dragon, but everybody can relate to... The idea of some people sitting around talking about something that they're into. You exactly. Know? That's, I mean, one more, like, you gotta save the Shivan Dragon. You gotta save the Shivan Dragons for a little bit later, you know? Give them something to, uh, you know, something to excite them a little bit later on. Well, I never try to get into gameplay with anyone. It's just like, try to explain, like, gameplay, foreplay, it's all the same thing, man. <laughs> So, uh, so Jerry, have you actually heard the the track that uh, Patrick? I have, on? yeah. So, what do you think? I think it's awesome, man. Like, I I was a pretty big fan of Bill's original stuff. Like, still all these is just like the best song ever. And Absolutely. then, uh, I mean, Pat is obviously just a master at you know creating anything. And he said he was like a little rough on the beats or whatever, but it still sounds good. It's still awesome. Like the lyrics are sick. So, I mean, I was really impressed, and I can't wait to see like what the full album is going to sound like. Yeah, that was uh, it. Was really interesting. I was trying to, um, you know, because Pat, you kind of you kind of rap pretty fast, and I was trying to pick out the lyrics. I, I was just listening to it, and so there were some things I couldn't figure out. But uh, okay, yeah. So just to be clear, the entire album I don't always uh, fit that fast. That's just uh, one segment. Mm-hmm. Actually, kind of go a little bit of a variety of different ways. I think sometimes just to perhaps to go too far with trying to amuse myself, but. 
Um, <laughs> a lot of the other, a lot of the other verses uh, are at a little bit less brisk of a pace, but still just trying to experiment and uh, and get an ear for you know get a feel for for making you know for rapping at all and uh, and just seeing what works you know. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate the feedback too. You know, like for instance, I mean the tracks haven't even been fully mastered yet. We're um, getting back in the studio at the beginning of January to finish the album, so I'm definitely hoping to learn from, you know, what I've been doing so far, but super excited so far. So, uh, yeah, that that verse, I guess, was kind of like the uh, the name drop verse, I guess, right, Patrick? <laughs> it was just a whole Trying lot to, of... Trying uh, to have a little fun with the whole self-aggrandizing rap style that is so popular. Um, you know, I don't exactly have, like, much interest in rapping about uh, guns and uh, the, you know, and strippers and uh, the boats that we're driving around with the millions of dollars we made from whatever we were doing, you know. Instead, more just talking about uh, a little bit of the, uh, I don't know, just some stuff with magic. And in that case, that's just, that happens to catch a part where it was part of the, uh, part of a track that has to do with sort of a progression that I made from uh, where my life was at 10 years ago to where it is today and where I'm trying to go, you know? Right on. And that's kind of like more current with uh, some other players that I'm really enjoying testing with right now, as well as some writers that are a uh, definite inspiration to me. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's a good track. And we'll, uh, we're going to use it again as the, uh, the fade out music so you guys will get a chance to hear it again. And, um, you know, that way... Uh, you don't have to keep rewinding to the beginning of the episode for those of you who want to listen again and try, try to parse out the lyrics like I did. <laughs> so uh, Patrick and Jerry both have some uh, some announcements that they're going to make today, but we're going to hold those off till later. So we're just going to tease you for now. Let's move on to some of the actual news in the magic world. Today was the, um, the announcement, the banned and restricted announcement, and uh, everybody is in complete shock. The survival of the fittest was banned. Stop the presses. Jerry, what are your thoughts on the subject? (laughs) I'm I'm a little unhappy just because uh, the deck is so absurd. And it was just, you know, some of the most fun magic I've played, basically because it wasn't even magic. You know, I'm just goldfishing against these people, and they can't do a goddamn thing to stop me. So uh, I even (laughs) went so far as to, like, build a new, better survival deck and... Uh, wanted to play it the weekend of the Invitational, but, you know, sadly, I was still playing in the Invitational while the Legacy event was going on, so I didn't get to play it, but... Yeah, uh, that's I, a I shame. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's a rough life, but... We should have just dropped so you could have played Legacy. <laughs> you know, I thought about it. I really did. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the deck's overpowered. It, the card deserves to be banned, or, you know, like maybe they should just unrestrict a bunch of other ridiculous cards and you know, let people fight it out that way. But I think this is probably better for the format in the long run. So, Yeah, Patrick, I know you uh, you had expressed your opinions on survival uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on, on our episode 48. Um, so, Oh, no, no. Just, I mean, come on. Like, like, when was the last time anybody heard me suggest anything get banned anywhere? I'm not exactly a banned cards all the time kind of yeah. guy. But this deck is, like... Is like put up better numbers than affinity fairies. Actually, I'm not even positive about affinity. Affinity is the one where, as far as that we go, but better than fairies in its prime, jund in its prime, 
uh, madness, better than, I mean, whatever. It's just like the numbers that it put up were better, better numbers than any deck that ever had Skull Clamp, better numbers than any deck that ever had Necropotence, better numbers than any cards. I mean, it, like the, the numbers that were being put up were so above and beyond anything. Like it literally was beating everything. But anyway, that's a dead issue for now. I mean, like when they, Eric Lauer's description of why they banned and, uh, uh, why they banned survival and unbanned time spiral. I was kind of hoping that he would go for something a little bit more elegant. Like for, uh, you know, why did you ban survival? Of. And why did you unban time sparrow? Mize. You know, like, why not? I don't know. <laughs> like there's, there's like this percentage of people who just want to have as many cards be legal in legacy as possible, regardless of the health of the format. And I'm all in favor of unrestricting cards or unbanning cards for the most part. So I think it kind of, like, if you're going to throw them a bone, Time Spiral is an interesting one where they'll actually feel something, you know, where they'll actually be excited about it. I, I Like, it's not actually the craziest thing to think that they'd ban, or that they'd unban Time Spiral, because if you go back and look, like, I was reading an article from uh, early in the year that was talking, I think it was a Stephen Menendian article where he was talking about six different cards that they could potentially un uh, ban in, in Legacy. Mm-hmm. And one of the cards that he suggested was Time Spiral, and an awful lot of people seem to think that would be a safe card done. You know, it was. I think it was actually the second most voted card to have unrestricted or unbanned mm-hmm. behind Land Tax. So it kind of completely invalidates the entire poll, seeing as there is still this massive number of people who think the Land Tax would be remotely healthy. But, uh, Jerry, what do you think? Time Spiral, will it work? And Land Tax, think- are people... I think Time Spiral is a safe card to unban. Like, it's definitely going to create a new deck, but it's it's going to be a fair deck, you know? It's still going to have problems with Counterbalance and Merfolk and stuff like that, so it's just, like, another one of those combo decks, basically. Uh, land decks, I mean, that card does not seem all that good, honestly. Like, all these decks are way more streamlined and way too focused to really care about you messing around with, you know, getting, like, a bunch of basic lands. Like, who really cares? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you think land tax would be? Uh, you think land tax would be fine? Yeah, completely fine. Oh wow. Huh. See, I might, I might go the other way. Not might. I think I, I, I think land tax is much worse than than a lot of cards on the ban list. You think it's well, worse? I mean, that's fair. Like I, I've played with that card before, but I haven't you know, built decks with it currently. Like, I'm not sure what kind of deck would e- it would even be good in, but, like, I know that, you know, just having played most of the decks in Legacy, it's just, like, someone plays a land tax against me. I don't really care. Like, I'm still going to go about my game plan and still probably going to kill them, you know, on turn five or whatever. So the deck you play is a, uh, like, a mono-white stacks deck with Trinospheres mm-hmm. and Yeah, that's, that's not scary at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much that they need. It's just such a degenerate engine, you know? But uh, right, but the rest of the deck still weird sucks. Too because that's the problem. You think it still sucks? Yeah. Mm. That deck has never been good in Legacy. Like, there's not enough acceleration. There's no workshop. You have to get nut draws with the ancient tombs and boxes and a three drop, and then like still have a land and a four drop. Like, you need the perfect opening seven every time. Next, hey, the next uh, the next uh, Star City Games open you and I go to, I'll bring a Legacy land tax deck. Let me play against whatever you play in the uh, the event with a land tax deck. Okay. Yep. Put a little a few pride points on the line, you know. It'll be kind of exciting. It's, it's odd. I think that the, the weird issue with land tax is that 
is obviously a very powerful card, even if it's not necessarily the card that they're missing, so to speak. But the the really annoying thing is that if it's good, it's kind of a bad card to be good from Wizards' perspective because it involves tons of shuffling and it involves this game where players are incentivized to, one, not play any land, two, play with a bunch of cards like Trinisphere and stuff where nobody plays any cards at all, and three, most of the people who advocate uh, the use of it have never seen it in a format where it was actually good. You know? Yeah, and I like, I agree with all that. Like I said straight up that I haven't played with that card in, you know, like real decks or whatever. Like I've played, you know, the world championship decks and stuff like that and it was like really good back then, but that's a completely different format. And then I mean the all the shuffling and like the trinosphere type stuff is just like the same thing with top and counterbalance. Like why is top still around? True. And that's a very good point. But uh no, I guess land decks, um I before like before being too comfortable advocating such a card because I used to advocate for land tax to be unrestricted. I enjoy land taxing an unhealthy amount. It's of course it's, I mean it is the white necropotence. But eventually, Aaron Forsythe kind of persuaded me of uh, the folly of such an argument. You know, but it's not okay. it's not clear that it couldn't be that they couldn't change over time. You know, it's very possible that now it, it'd be fine that there's enough other powerful stuff going on because I mean. Sure, know that mono white is not exactly, you know, dominating the tournament scene, and it's not even just mono white that it would be playing either. Though it would be playing like blue white decks, red white decks. I mean, the engine—if you just play with seven basic land and some scroll racks and land taxes—it's actually a super powerful, super powerful engine. And that's the, the real concern: is that you'd be just inviting another survival of the fittest type engine, because when land tax was last seen in extended. Um, there was a PTQ season where uh, land tax was just so thoroughly dominating. And back then, you could play in PTQs even after you won one. And so got to the point where just, like, I was going to different PTQs, playing a different land tax deck each time. Because you can play, obviously, you can play a prison deck, you can play a control deck, you can play an aggro deck. And if you just use the Mox Diamond Scroll Rack uh, land tax sort of synergy, you can put that shell or put that engine into any other deck, you know? I don't know. I just imagine a world where if land tax was legal, there would, you know, have, it'd be like a little bit like survival, not to the same degree, because I don't think it's even as good as survival, but but there would be an awful lot of different types of land tax decks. You guys will have to uh, keep us updated on actually what happens if you guys play that, that matchup, uh, you know, legacy versus legacy with land tax kind of situation. I'd be curious to see. Yeah, see definitely. That I mean, I, dude, I have an unnatural love for land tax, so I will gladly run it because I, I would love it if it turns out that land tax is not ridiculously good. You know, right? Because but, then you can play it, right? You know, you actually get yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. I, besides, it probably would be way better than I think it is initially. Like if we play it and it somehow is it busted yet? Maybe somehow somebody ends up thinking that it's a safe idea to unrestrict, and then it ends up just being busted, you know, a month later, and then we get to have fun for a couple months. But yeah, so so as far as like today's announcement, um, I, I think yeah, interesting. Time, time trial's fine. It's gonna go. It's gonna go in a high tide deck. You yeah. know, there's gonna be a few different ways to do it. You could build some kind of guy's cradle deck too, I guess. But neither of those sound particularly insane in the format because, like, like as good as high tide, frantic search. 
Time Spiral, like all this stuff, Merchant Scroll. I mean, that's a deck. It sounds like a good deck, but it also sounds like a deck that might have trouble with Counter Mouse Top, a deck that might not be fast enough for some of the aggro decks, a deck that might be vulnerable to a Goblin deck with a bunch of Red Blasts, a deck that might be vulnerable to a Junk deck with a bunch of discard spells and some quick pressure. So, I mean, I'm not even sure what the deck's good against. It just sounds pretty powerful, you know? Right, and it's good to me. I think I think it's interesting that Wizards has kind of uh, gotten, or at least it feels like recently, when they're making an announcement that may seem a little negative, they also throw you know throw the players a bone, I guess, and give us something positive. Um, you know, as many people pretty much expected survival to be banned. Um, I think so survival being banned isn't a negative; it is a positive. True, yeah. The format is not realistic. People, right. It's a negative for people like Jerry and I who just want to exploit unfair tournaments. But <laughs> right. I mean, in the interest of there being a real format, I mean, but regardless, like anybody with any sense at all knew that survival was getting banned. So, I mean, like obviously there's a good argument about why Vengevine should be. I'm definitely sympathetic to the, to the idea that like, survival is a super fun card. I mean, like it's not even just that it's so insane. It's a fun card to play with. And so definitely I'm sympathetic to the fact that without Vengevine, at least you could still keep this fun deck that's around. But the problem is that it's a little bit like Necropotence, where most of the reason it's fun is because of the unfair stuff that it's doing. And even when the deck's not that good, the card is doing some unfair things, and it has a tendency to break over and over and over again. And with Necropotence, they tried... They tried shutting down everything except Necrobones for such a long time, and then other stuff would just keep coming along because apparently drawing 19 extra cards is good. Same thing's going to happen with Survival. If they would have just kept Survival around, it would have got banned in three months anyway because most likely, I mean, obviously, the Vengevine, uh, like, synced up with when Survival busted out. But, I mean, with the way that Necrotic Loose technology is improving, plus the fact that they could, I mean, there's, I mean, there's the oil retainer stuff, and then there's also just the fact that they're going to print more cards. They're going to keep printing uh, creatures that are, that are abused a lot of the graveyard. Exactly. Jerry, uh, you, you sound like you had know. something to say. Uh, there was just, like, the issue with survival also being one of those, like, land techs and divining top cards where, like, you just search and search and search, and there's a ton of shuffling, and, you know, your opponent is just, like, sitting there miserable while you do all these sweet things. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are talking about how uh, if survival is banned, then nobody will play Vengevine. But if Vengevine was banned, at least some people would still play survival. If, if Vengevine was banned, a lot of people would still play survival. And even if survival, yeah, now that survival banned, there's going to be some Vengevines being played. I think people are starting to realize just how good that card is in Legacy. It's got other applications. Yeah, I, I think I think that that card is just it's such a great card. Like that's one of my favorite designed cards. I mean, at least in the last few years, um, and it's just it's a it's a fun card, and uh, you know, overall, it's very strong. Obviously, throughout multiple formats, um, and it's green, which makes me happy. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> and that's something different, you know, having a, a really good green card. You know, as of uh, as of late, I guess they've been correcting that. But uh, as far as Actually, if I may, Jerry, what do you think of playing in Legacy now that Survival's banned? Um, currently, I am looking at John Kuvalier's Welder Reanimator deck. Oh, okay. He talked to your robot in the center thing? Uh, yeah. 
you know, there's like Sundering Titan, your Battle Sphere, Platinum Imperium, Steel Hellkite. And you said he top 16 something? Platinum Imperium works well with Reanimator, right? Like, it, it's the right order? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he top 16 Boston, like the one that I got second in, and then he was doing well in Richmond. I don't know if he top 16 or not, but also he's been playing a lot of Magic Online and crushing there. So, Cool. Um, Patrick, had you uh, had any ideas for Legacy? Uh, uh, not yet, but I mean, like, I mean, I guess if I had to play in a Legacy event tomorrow, I would just play kind of on top deck. <laughs> but... Uh, if, you know, the first thing I'm going to work on is Time Spiral. Obviously, it's the new toy, you know, just right. Just, just to try something new. Might just sit here and brew land tax decks, though. Yeah. <laughs> just wait for it to be to be unbanned, right? Just so you're prepared. Um, I actually probably don't want to, though, because the better of a land tax come up with, the worse chances of it ever actually having a chance to be played. You just can't let anybody know. That's yeah, exactly. how strong it is. Uh so I'll just delete all that that part. I'll cut all that out. The whole land tax is good portion. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. That's fine. After I cross Chapin, you know, he won't really have an argument anymore. We can both say that it should be unbanned. Jerry's literally just going to show up at the uh, show up at the uh, at the GP or at the, the Star City Open mm-hmm. with like one land vulture. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's good. Like, oh, hey, nice bad. land tax, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just invalidate the entire strategy. He's metagaming against you. Um, when I mentioned it being a, a negative thing, I meant, uh, you know, as far as bannings in general, I, I don't think that's something Wizards wants to do. So I, that's maybe I shouldn't have used the word negative, but, um, you know, I, I was thinking it's, it seems when they're making announcement making an announcement that it could be perceived as negative when, you know, banning cards usually is uh, perceived that way, especially by the people who don't want it to be banned, um, that they're now kind of giving us something else to talk about besides, you know, I told you so or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right, because in this case, um, if survival was gone, it would, in a lot of people's eyes, just sort of be uh, going backwards. But with Time Spiral, there's something new to, to kind of work on. Plus, people can kind of, you know, that takes a little bit of the pressure off as people start to realize, wait, there's also been, you know, a few sets where the card's printed. And uh, and besides, the the Vintage and the Legacy fan lists are smaller now than they've ever been. I mean, they're as small now. This is, like, the smallest they've ever been, you know? Like, since yeah. the modern, uh, since, like, Urza Saga, when they added, like, 17 cards on at the same time. So, I mean, they're trying to keep the ban list as small as possible, and they're going to keep trying to take more cards off and more cards off. But one of the things they found was that it doesn't do them any good to remove five cards from the ban list at the same time because then nobody thinks it's special. Nobody cares that much. You know, people will focus yeah, on that. Yeah, I guess they But if they bring off one at a time, then each one is like they're – it's sort of like they're, they're adding a new thing to the format each time, you know, like it's something new and special. Exactly. Whereas, you know, if they, if they, like, for instance, the most extreme example, imagine if instead of, um, imagine imagine they unrestrict, you know, uh, or they unban, like, uh, Mind's Desire at the, I mean, not Mind's Desire, like uh, Time Spiral, Hermit Druid, Land Tax, uh, Goblin Recruiter. I mean, if they, like, they unrestri- unban all these cards at the same time, 
at first it's super exciting, but then you start to realize that most of the people who get excited about that type of thing, they're only going to work on like one or two. They might try a few, but they don't have time to get really too into all of these different things at the same time, especially in a format like Legacy where there's already 20 good decks. Yeah, it's just kind of uh, information overload at the same time. So know? they're just they're slow rolling us. Pretty much. Yeah, it, it's a little bit like, imagine if they just printed, you know, if you print uh, five different... Look at the Titans. The Titans, for instance. Each one of the five Titans in M11 is, like, ground-shaking, like, unbelievable. But the fact that all five got printed at the same time kind of caused this overload where, for a while, people, like, aren't even as excited about them. They don't even think too much of it, you know? Because yeah. at that point, like, they just... They're like, oh, whatever, you know? Like, even though the Titans are, like, five of the best creatures ever printed. Absolutely. But the fact that they all came at the same time makes them less special. And people only focused on one or two when they all came out at the same time at first. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, people, like, built around Primeval Titan mostly um, to start. And then, you know, it took a while for people to catch on to Frost Titan, which was for a while considered the worst Titan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Actually, is Frost Titan the worst Titan now? Jerry, what do you think? Is Frost Titan or Sun Titan the worst Titan? I don't think it really matters which one is the worst. I think they're all still really insane. That, that's oh, absolutely. The... But each one of them is a 10 out of 10. Like, the five of them are five of the, <clears throat> like, out of the 15 best creatures in the format, those are five of them. It all just depends on the metagame. Like, if when Vampires was a big deck then it meant that, like, Frost Titan was much worse, and Inferno and Grave Titan were a lot better, where previously it was, like, all control decks, so those two kind of sucked. And, like, now Vampires is kind of on the decline because the Blue Blacks are tuned to beat them, so then, I don't know, like, maybe Frost Titan is going to make a comeback and stuff like that. Like, it all just keeps going in, like, week after week. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Sun Titan is good against Blue decks, and Frost Titan is good against the Ramp decks, and Inferno Titan... Good against the Inferno Titan and Grave Titan are both kind of good against the aggro decks, and then like uh, I mean it's just and obviously for me old Titan's just always good, but yeah. yeah. But it's interesting that they keep shifting because you don't want to be the guy that's stuck with a Frost Titan when your other opponent when your opponent just goes chase bounce it, but you also don't want to be stuck with a Grave Titan when your opponent's going to kill you with his Primeval Titan. Yeah, it's those Titans. They're just. Uh, I think Jerry's answer was one of the best I've heard about. You know, it doesn't matter which one's the worst because they're all they're all just so good. You know, it's it's kind of it's uh, like which of the Moxes is the worst? Yeah, <laughs> Mox Pearl or Mox Emerald the worst? Yeah, okay, yeah, probably Mox Pearl or Mox Emerald is the worst. Darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just tear them up and throw them out. Um, so now we've kind of uh, shifted a little bit into into some standard talk, and I, I wanted to get into that. Um, the uh, the post world standard metagame going into January and then February we have Pro Tour Paris coming up and uh, Mirrored and Besieged is released on February the fourth and uh, the the Pro Tour begins on the tenth so that's you know less than a week with these cards legal how how do you guys go about testing for a format that's going to have a whole bunch of new cards kind of introduced into it six days before the event starts um, I think learning the format that exists right now and then figuring out how uh, the new set changes things is probably the best way to go about it. Like, while that's not the best, I think for, like, when you're on a short kind of time constraint like that, then that's, like, the only way you can really do it. So, like, you just, you know, figure out what decks are good and then you look at the spoiler, which, I mean, like, we'll have a decent amount of time to 
you know, look at the cards and, and figure out what's going to be good and stuff before it's actually released. So that's not that big of an issue, I don't think. But then you're just like, all right, you know, these are the 10 cards that are going to be played in the format. This is how it changes things. And you just go from there. And then drafting is like whatever, like the week before the Pro Tour, you just cram as many drafts as you can. Patrick, did you have anything to add to that? It seems like the best way to to do it is that, um, to like, first of all, obviously you you, have, you watch the spoiler site. You like keep your eye on, you know, you keep your eye on the official previews. You keep your eye on MTG Salvation. But uh, you grind some drafts um, as best you can uh, once you actually have the cards. I mean, it's good to know the to have the scars and mirrored in practice already. But remember, the mirrored and besieged is going to completely revolutionize the draft format because it's going to be uh, two packs of besieged at the, at the beginning. That's right. So, yeah, the, the draft format is going to be so different that um, if you get your hands, like, you're, like, first of all, getting some hands and some cards during, pre, uh, during pre-releases is going to be vital. So that actually extends your window to about two weeks. Right. So you got about n- not even two weeks because you're going to basically <laughs> want to go straight to, you're going to be going, you know, people are, that's like a week and a half. You're gonna like ideally you want to meet up with some people and grind as many drafts as you can because, um, like, I mean, it's not gonna be available on Moto either, not even right. Moto Beta or anything. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be, there's gonna be a big advantage to people who can get together with seven other pros and actually practice, you know. And as far as the deck building goes, um, it is a Type Two format with a lot of different cards in it, so it doesn't. It, like, it, you might think that it's not going to have that big of an impact, but you've got to remember, this is the same scenario we were in at the beginning of this year with World Wake hitting. World Wake, uh, people were like, oh, it's not going to have that big of an impact. But it actually did have kind of a big impact, you know? I mean, obviously, Jung was still good and all that, but it's a great opportunity for deck builders because people won't have Moto to tell them how to use the new cards, you know? And people won't have people won't have had a time, uh, you know, had much chance to make challenging cards work yet. And uh, and if Mirrored and Besieged is anything like Scars and Mirrored, where a lot of the cards are complicated and and very nuanced. I mean, think about how long it took people to figure out the Tumble Magnet is a decent card. Yeah. You know, so got a feeling that we're going to see um, a great opportunity. Excuse me, a great opportunity for people to to bust out some new technology. Where, uh, you know, using interactions that people haven't even got a chance to talk about yet. Especially, too, the other thing that's, that seems like it needs to be, you know, kind of digested is the uh, Mirror of the Siege's gimmick. Have you guys seen that? What's it looks that? like the, the set, every card's going to have like a twin. That's really kind of interesting to think about the ramifications of that, you know? Is that is that confirmed? or Because I know, like, I had speculated on that a while ago when I saw the... Oh. No, I guess no, it's not. Right. We've, no, the, I guess the cards I, we've seen, you know, are uh, it, it all follow that pattern where it's we've got like Pierce Strider and Peace Strider, and we've got the uh, the two Crusaders, Mirren Crusader, Phyrexian Crusader. So there's like so far, I think those are the only four cards that have been spoiled, and they've all got a Mirren and a Phyrexian counterpart. So uh, so yeah, so far, you know. That's the way it goes, but it hasn't been confirmed that the entire set is that way. I would guess that at least a healthy chunk of the set is that way, if not the entire set, because that seems like the exact type of gimmick that Wizards would do. You know? um, yeah, and, and I was thinking that too. I mean, we mentioned that a little bit last week, um, but.
but uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see how that shapes up. What did you think, Jerry, about the, uh, I guess, the potential for a an entire set that could possibly be, like, mirror images of each other? I mean, it seems pretty awesome. Like, well, so far, it seems like that that is the case based on the cards that are spoiled. But uh, also, I mean, if, if every set or if every card has a twin in the set, then it seems like you could end up with uh, more awesome cards than there would normally be. But, I don't know. That's just me yeah, guessing. Like, I guess like the, point. the Striders are... The, the Striders are, like, not that bad, you know? Like, the, the Game 3 Life one is, like, an option to bail up for any color, and the Crusaders are obviously sick. Like, and these are, like, middle-of-the-road cards, you know? Like, what happens when they just print something insane and there's, like, two copies of this insane card, you know? It's, like, just more Titans or whatever. That's a good good point, too. Um, so since we since we don't know too much more about Mirrodin Besieged... Um, I guess we'll have to back up a little bit and just talk about standard for right now. Now, Patrick, you you wrote an article uh, that was published today on Star City about the the post worlds metagame, and um, you were saying about how obviously blue black control seems like it's the top dog. It's the the only tier one deck, uh, you know. In your uh, analysis, kind of to be fair though, the uh, the margin, like even though like blue black performs clearly better than any other deck. Um, the margin by which it did is not exactly massive, right. nor is it clear that it'll be able to hold on to that, especially given that some of its uh, some of its weaknesses, um, people might want to step up a lot more now that they see how big of an image blue black is. Plus, you can tune your decks. I mean, it's not like it's that insane that it'll just fight through all the hate. It's um, blue black was the only deck that had that performed above average in terms of both dominance and. Uh, success with regards to uh, dominance being how many people, like the total quantity of people that, that finished 4-1-1 or better with it, and success being what percentage of people that played it finished 4-1-1 or better. And, uh, like, the other three big popular decks were Valakit, Blue, White, and Vampires. Blue, White performed pretty bad, and, uh, and I, I'm fully anticipating a bit of a decline in blue-white unless the, unless, uh, the Cog-O deck that Nelson and Kibble were working on um, and Corey. Uh, if that picks up, then maybe that can change it. But as for Valakit and Vampires, they're both still actually, I mean, they're, they're going to remain popular, and they're both like 50-50 versus the field. So, I mean, they're both good decks. And that's 50-50 versus the field that's completely gunning to beat them. Right. you got to remember, at the Invitational, Vampires and Valakit did the best. So everyone has just been practicing in Valakit and Vampires nonstop and tuning their decks. Like, how many decks do we see with four spreading seas and four tectonic edges main deck? You know? Yeah. And how many decks? Yeah. Every, every single like, Inferno Titans and Arc Trip. Right. And so despite the entire format being set up to beat Vampires and Valakit, they're still going 50-50, just about, like 49%, 50%. Right. And I think that in the weeks to come, People are going to be flanking the decks towards uh, fighting Jace a little bit more. And that just is good news for Valakit and Vampires, especially like since Vampires beats up on the Jace decks. What were you going to say, Jay, yeah. about the, uh, about the uh, Spreading Seas Tectonic Edge? Comment? Oh, it, it was just nice to see that every single person playing a controlled deck at Worlds, I guess except for Christopher Wolf who made Top 8, just you know, had four Spreading Seas and four Tech Edge in their deck. Like everyone came to the same conclusion independently, which is always nice to see. Just everyone's doing work, you know, like putting in the time that they need to. 
Now, I know, Patrick, you went out to California to help test for Worlds. Uh, Jerry, were you in that playgroup? Uh, I was not. I was at the Invitational and testing with some guys from Roanoke. Okay. I, I was just curious what, uh, you know, obviously you, you played Valakut at Worlds, is that right? I did, yeah. Okay. And so did uh, were you not really expecting that quantity of spreading seas, kind of tectonic edge, or just, uh, you know, that, that quantity of hate in general for Valakut at Worlds? Uh, no, I did. I expected that and, and much more, but... Um, I don't know, like, I, I could have audible to their blue-black deck, but I didn't really like it. It just seemed uh, like a pile of cards. And against a matchup that isn't Vampires or Valakut, you have, like, a bunch of Seagate Oracles and Spreading Z's and, like, Disfigures and stuff like this that are just, like, not very powerful. And the only way to really kill them is Grave Titan or maybe Jace. So just, it seemed like if you get to the mid-game and you're not already crushing them with the Jace or a Titan, then, like, your top decks are pretty bad, and the deck just seemed really underpowered. It's just like a metagame deck, basically. So, like, if people are shifting away from vampires and stuff, like, people are going to have to change their blue-black decks more to reflect that. And, uh, right. I just felt like it was all matchup-dependent, basically. So, Yeah, the uh, the blue-black deck did have um, – did benefit from some of its matchups. And we're going to see things get a little bit more hostile for it. Because, like, for instance, the rug deck, mm-hmm. the rug deck is very strong as blue-black and the rug deck wasn't particularly popular at Worlds, which is kind of remarkable because the rug deck actually uh, had the best match win percentage among any of the decks that were, you know, anything other than, like, the ultra-fringe decks. The rug deck actually had winning records against every other arch- every single archetype except for Boros and Quest. And, uh, and the, the weird thing is, though, that almost everybody who played the rug deck, not almost everybody, but a significant number of people who played the rug deck all finished 4-2. So I'm not sure what it is about the rug deck that has everybody finishing 4-2. But it, you know, consistently just was putting up really good numbers percentage-wise without anybody XOing. So don't know what that's all about. Yeah. But the rug deck definitely looks like a top deck. Like, even though Blue Black is its only tier one performer at Worlds, i got to think that in the, the, the metagame coming up, like, you gotta, you also got to count rug. you got to count vampires and valakids still. Um, and then you got to count, uh, I think you got to count Boros, actually. Boros is a really weird number where it, it has such good matchups, but it also has some terrible ones. Yeah, you like, were saying that one has the, the decks, swingiest, that one has like the swingiest percentages, like really good and then really bad and not, not so much a 50-50 or not so close to 50-50 like some of the other right. ones. This is a format where it's tough to get more than a 55-45 edge versus anybody. But Boros, every one of their matchups is like 65-35 or 70-30. Like a bunch of, like a lot of their good matchups are 65, you know, 60-40 or 65-35 in their favor. It's just that two of the most popular decks, Vampires and Blue-Black, are horrible. Right. And you got to be, you got to, I mean, it takes a real wild man to want to show up with a deck that gets blown out by the most popular or by the best deck and by the deck that beats the best deck. But, I mean, I guess it beats everything else in theory. So, I don't know. Boros is definitely a deck to watch because of the fact that it takes advantage of people who slant their decks too much to beat Jaces and Titans. Yeah, and, and on that note, uh, you know, you were saying, well, if blue-black is rising in popularity due to the, the results of Worlds, uh, it becomes also a big target for a lot of other decks. So, 
what uh, what kind of hate should blue black players anticipate and prepare for? Well, I think vampires is probably going to fall out of favor a little bit, but the majority of decks are probably going to play cards that uh, kind of like anti metagame the cards that blue black was playing to metagame against those cards, like. They, they added a bunch of, like, Seagate Oracles and uh, Disfigures and stuff like that, like Spreading Seas to, like, screw over their mana base. And you just have to build your deck in such a way that you don't just, like, die to a Seagate Oracle, you know, because it holds off, like, all of your 2-2s or 2-1s or whatever. So I remember uh, Kyle Bogamus was playing, like, Trusty Machete to get his blood gas through Wall of Omens in Pro Tour San Juan. And I think, like, playing some sort of equipment is probably good against uh, Seagate Oracle. As far as, like, spreading season tech edge, like, maybe you have to go back to mono black. Like, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's just uh, finding, like, kind of cute ways to make it so you just don't get blown out by the cards that they're playing to blow you out, you know? I see. But it's not, it's not about, like, all hoser cards like uh, Parish or Karma or Light of Day or anything like that. It's about just ma- having your cards match up well against theirs. If they have Doom Blades and Disfigures, I mean... Like, you can play cards that are good against Doomblades and Disfigures. You know, if they're playing Consuming Meeks and Ratchet Bombs, you can play cards that are good against Consuming Meeks and Ratchet Bombs. If they're playing Seagate Oracle, don't play two ones, you know, or find a way to, to like a Fury said, power through them. Right. Um, as far as actually playing with blue-black, it seems like you gotta you got to decide what you're aiming for. You know, decide who it is you think you're trying to beat. Because, obviously, the blue-black deck has a ton of cards that can just all be rotated around. You know, you can decide how much mana denial, how much discard, how much permission, how many guys. Right. How do you guys... Uh... I think we're going to see blue-black drop a lot in terms of success, just because you got to remember at Worlds, how many stone masters were playing blue-black? Right. You know, we're talking like half the DIs in the world were on blue-black. And if you just have a bunch of, I mean, Blue Black's not the, it's not the hardest deck in the world. It's not like as hard as like a rug deck. But I mean, it's, it's definitely a very challenging deck. And I think a lot of people are going to try to pick it up and just be frustrated that initially it doesn't give them the results they want, you know, if they're not, like if they haven't been playing J-Specs already. Right. You know, it's just one card that I was thinking about, um, something like Scroll Thief in place of Seagate Oracle. Certainly stick against this figure. Right. I mean, especially if people will take their mana leaks out of their deck. It just seems like that, that trend that people are taking mana leaks out of the deck. Yeah, I think that was the uh, what was it? Uh, Lewis Laskin did that for the Invitational, and then um, and then Kibler and uh, and Brad Nelson both had done that for Worlds, I believe. My my roommate just took. Uh, I think he took the mana leaks out of his rug deck, or was at least considering it. Yeah, I don't think MJ likes mana leak and rug very much either. And that's pretty but, surprising. I mean, there's still answers to that card. And if if you're, like, cutting Seagate Oracle for Scroll Thief, like, you know, who wins in that battle in the mirror match? You know, like, you play your Thief, they play their their Oracle or whatever, and it's, like, uh, it's kind of awkward. You know, I think you would almost rather just have a Little Jace, like, every single time. Yeah. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. Little Jace, is, Little Jace is going to be a much... Little Jace is, like, an unblockable, untargetable, hasty... <laughs> that's a really good way to look at it and and is also seal of jace right you know so yep. opposing jace yeah exactly so that's uh that's a really good way to look at it so um as far as the uh the star city games open series this year you guys mentioned it a little while ago uh are you guys planning to to attend a lot of those uh, i'm 
currently planning on going to Kansas City, San Jose, and then Atlanta, and then I think I come home for a week. But, like, uh, there's definitely going to be a few trips like that on my itinerary for this year where I'm just, you know, gone for three weeks at a time hitting all the star cities I can, and I'm going to do that for the first couple months and, like, see how burned out I am, see how I'm doing, like, points-wise and stuff like that. But it's definitely something that I want to do. Cool. How about you, Patrick? Yeah, I'm definitely going to be hanging up. I mean, I don't, don't, I definitely don't have the time to to just be, you know, going to three different open weekends a month. Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely going to try to hit. Uh, I'm definitely going to try to hit as many as I can and uh, see how it plays out. You know, because um, it's starting to get to the point where they're actually like the invitationals. Those are pretty high EV events. You know, where high like the. Like, yeah, tell me about the it. The invitational the jury won was like, yeah. <laughs> the invitational the jury won, it's like, uh, if you match it up, like, in terms of, like, if you show up to an e- to the invitational with two buys, you got it. Like, we were figuring that you probably got better edge at that than a pro tour financially, you know? Yeah. Jerry, did and, you have yeah, to go eight, oh, eight and three to make four grand? That's, that's <laughs> not. Jerry, did you have any buys for the invitational? Yeah, I, I had two. That's what I'm saying. I had to go eight and three oh, right, over right. the thirteen rounds. Wow, <laughs> awesome! <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we're going to be at a lot of those events this year as well. So uh, definitely looking forward. And they're only going to keep getting bigger. I mean, the fact that there's two invitationals this year. Because yeah. I think what a lot of people are missing is that yeah, I mean, you've heard so many people are talking about oh, bring back another pro tour, bring back another. Pro-. Uh, yeah, we would love another pro tour, and hopefully, we do get more pro tours. But it's awesome that somebody's actually doing something about it and filling that void, you know, just making their own pro tours. Yeah. Like, if there's two this year, imagine what it's going to be like next year. You think that they're not going to continue to get bigger and bigger and better and better? I mean, yeah. Right. It I mean, kind of feeds on itself. The better they are, the more people want to come and the more people are going to play and more play more often. And then the more successful they are, the more they make it even bigger the next year. Yeah, they, they keep setting the bar higher and higher. Uh, I mean, they've already just... Uh, 2010 has improved on 2009, and now you know 2011 is just ridiculously uh, better than 2010, and it's just it's really exciting for players to have that kind of option, you know, almost every weekend to be able to attend a, a sizable event. So, do I forget that Star City is putting up over half a million dollars yeah. in uh, in prize money for the opens, and that's not even counting the invitationals. Yeah, that's nuts. Like, that's like, I mean, I don't know. It seems like it's uh, pretty awesome that there's this many uh, events for people to be able to play in. You know, like, I mean, the it's it's always great during constructed PTQ seasons where there's events every week and so on. But it's kind of awesome that now that there's actually just Stone Cold event. You know, there's events almost every week. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to those. So, uh, I guess you guys want to move on to your uh, your announcements. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, getting ready to release a uh, uh, an ebook on Star City Games. I don't want to give too much information about it at all, but it's like uh, basically the tale of 2010. You know, the story of everything that went on in 2010. Um, the the story side of it, the deck technology side of it, the uh, the events, the happenings, the the, the people, the uh, all the important stories, and, uh, and it's going to be um, on Star City Games right at the beginning of the year, and uh, definitely, definitely excited about that, you know? 
so uh, definitely watch for that. So do you have a title for it? don't want to commit myself at this point, Okay. but basically it's, uh, uh, well, you will definitely see, you know, check my articles and there'll be, there'll be something in the banner, you know? So yeah, I guess, uh, the year in magic, 2010, you know? If I can suggest a title, um, it could be, um, you know, the, the times I spent with the OMTG taps and the rest of the year. I mean, that's that's one of the options, I guess, that we're, you know, <laughs> just, just, just just mill it over, you know, just 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 think about it. Just let that, you know, <laughs> yeah, kick yeah, around yeah, in your yeah. brain there. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's probably down to either that or uh, or the year in magic, you know? <laughs> cool, cool. Good. So, but uh, the big the big one is uh, Jerry's got something really special. You want to talk about that, Jerry? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, mine, mine kind of sounds like yours, Patrick, except for instead of, one year it's kind of like all the years where it is my story as you know just a lifetime of grinding and basically being a self-made man and like how I got to be where I am today and uh, just that type of stuff like basically my life story for clarification um, very very different angle talking about the uh, you know the, the, the decks that people like recapping the year the pro tours that took place like uh, right, right, right. Series is a much more ambitious project. When you uh, yeah, there's, there's it's it's not going to be very much about like okay, these are the decks I played in these events. So just just like what happened and uh, just like the more underlying things, and not so much as like the surface stuff. Like the the decks that I played in events don't really matter. Just like how I finished and how that affected my life, and you know what I did from there, and so on. So is this going to be a physical uh, physical book or? ebook or both um to sort of to be announced rather than not paint ourselves into a corner just if, uh releasing um right around the time of uh with the magic weekend in paris okay and it's a new kind of book i mean what jerry's doing is like nobody has ever done anything like this in magic it's it's it very much um i mean people talk all the time about the decks people are going to play or the cards or sideboarding or metagaming or any of that kind of stuff. This is much, you know, scrolling all the way back, looking at Jerry's life and how he got to where he is today and the trials and tribulations and things that have gone on because, I mean, it has been a, a pretty incredible, a pretty incredible journey that he's been on, you know? Yeah. I mean, this seems like it's like the first magic, Biography, I guess. No, in Magic, nobody's really talked about that kind of stuff without also, you know, inundating you with a lot of the other, like, Magic-related stuff. And I think that's really cool because a lot of people uh, probably, you know, are curious, you know, about those sort of goings-on and, like, you know, about how how you get to a point like where Jerry is right now. So I think that's awesome. I think that's a really exciting thing. I'm looking forward to reading it for sure. Absolutely. The, the, The... The big thing with Jerry's trip is that, or with Jerry's, like, the the journey is that it's not just, it's not like some self-help book or something. It's it's a bunch of really interesting adventures, because Jerry's had a crazy life. <laughs> but yeah, that that's really, it's, it's exciting to see where magic has been and where it's going and all these kind of things. Like, I mean, as far as magic books go... I mean, there were there were some strategy books back in the '90s, and then uh, you know, then I remember uh, Flores released 
decade, and uh, and then Zvi just released my files, which are just kind of collections of articles. But then, Patrick, you had Next Level Magic, uh, which was kind of a very a much more ambitious take on the strategy book uh, kind of genre, I guess. Um, and now, I mean, it, it just looks like you know people are realizing that this is another potential opportunity. I mean, we've just had, uh, you know, you guys mentioned Stephen Menendian a little while ago, and I know he just released an ebook uh, called Understanding Gush, which, you know, he, that's a very focused b- uh, book. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, and now to hear about this, this, this sounds very, uh, very interesting too. And this sounds even more, uh, more like entertaining. Well, do you, do you like tournament? I mean, do you like reading Jerry's tournament reports? Do you yeah. like hearing about Jerry? I mean, this is the tournament report of Jerry's, you know, of Jerry's entire career. Yeah. This is like the tournament reports and all tournament reports. It's the tournament of his entire time playing Magic, you know? Yeah, that, it's, it sounds like really interesting. And, uh, and again, yeah, it seems like it would be almost more on the entertaining side of things than uh, instructional. And, you want to share a few, I guess, a few thoughts about it? I mean, what... What prompted you to go this route, and uh, and what have you been, I guess, discovering? What have you been learning as you've, uh, like, during this whole process? Uh, I mean, like, way too much, actually. Like, it, it's it's so weird going back and rewriting all this stuff and just kind of reliving it and, and seeing, like, what happened and what changes there were. And, I mean, there's just been, like, this constant struggle for, like, do I want to play Magic or do I not want to play Magic? And, you know, there's, like, good years and bad years and that type of thing. And I just always end up, like, coming back to Magic. And, I mean, right now I'm just kind of embracing it and stuff. So uh, that's good. But When did you start playing Magic, Jerry? Uh, the Invasion pre-release was my first tournament. Okay. And then I started, I started going to, like, F&Ms and stuff, like, shortly after that. And what kind of thing are you using uh, as source material for this? I mean, are you just trying to go by memory, or do you actually have, uh, you know, some? I guess looking back at some articles you've written or, or things like that. No, this is this is just straight memory. I mean, all, all this stuff is like so important to me that there's you know no way that I could ever forget this stuff. Like this is like I I kind of uh, try to be a storyteller, you know, and a lot of this stuff is the things that I've, like, told the people either for, like, you know, lessons or because it's, like, funny stories or whatever. So it's, like, I remember all this stuff. I know everything that happened. Great. So what do you want people to take away from this? I mean, what, the person reading this, what are they going to get out of it? Um, a lot of it is basically, like, how I got to where I am. Like, I think that's very important because I never had anyone, like, there were no pros in my area or, like, the ones that were, you know, quit shortly after I started playing. Uh, I'm, I'm very much like a self-made man, you know. Like, I got to where I am not because of, like, natural talents or whatever, but just because of hard work and stuff, and I think that's really important. But also for all the people out there that are struggling with, you know, do I want this magic lifestyle or whatever, you know, like, maybe this can point them in a direction, like, they can see what I went through and just kind of decide for themselves, or maybe this, like, inspires them to do it, you know, like, I, either way, I think is good. Yeah, I think that's one of the the best ways to ever succeed at anything, is to take a look at someone who's where you want to be and figure out how they got there, and so this seems like a great 
uh, resource for someone who has hopes uh, of, of being successful at magic. And as you said, like this might show them that maybe that's a road they don't want to take, or it might show them, you know, this is how Jerry T did it. So, I, you know, it give them some sort of heads up, I guess, as to what to expect. It hasn't been easy, has it, Jay? No, not in the least. Like I said, constant struggle, and I don't know, like, I, I was never really doing anything, so there was always, like, magic, but it was still just, like, do I really want to do this? Like, should I go to school? And then there, there are the years where, like, you just don't win any matches, you know? So it's just, like, really, really depressing. Speaking of which, uh, I mean, you guys kind of just made me think of something that I've always kind of wondered. Uh, magic isn't really the most financially lucrative kind of pursuit. Um, so it's always interesting to me, and I just always wonder how people like like you guys can continue to basically you know go without having a normal job. Um, and is it because of maybe the the rewards that maybe aren't so financially based or, or, you know, based on the money, the funds coming in and more about like, uh, you know, the experiences and things like that. So you're, you're more willing to, uh, to kind of live on a lower, lower scale. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not about the money. Like if I wanted to be rich or whatever, I'd be doing something else, but this is, this is far more rewarding in other ways, like you said, but also, I mean, it's just like, you know, writing articles helps a lot. And when when I started and was, like, not very confident and wasn't able to, you know, think that I was going to be a writer or, like, I'd be good at it or had anything to say or whatever, I was just, like, trading a lot because it was a lot easier back then when there was no real Internet and people didn't know, like, the values of stuff or whatever, you know. So making money off that was easy, just buying and selling cards, uh, going to tournaments and, you know, winning some packs here and there and selling those trying to get cheap flights, like carpooling with people in the tournaments. But any, any way that you can do it, basically. Yeah, don't get it twisted. Like, uh, like, they may not have million-dollar tournaments or whatever right now, but um, like, uh, you can do all right in Magic, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, and it's not even just about, like, obviously it's not about the money, but just speaking on the money, mm -hmm. like, Think about how many years people played uh, football or baseball or basketball before the before the people playing those sports were making bigger money. Magic is growing; things are getting better, and like I see a future where Magic is thought of as even being a bit more legitimate of a uh, of a pursuit. Where I mean, obviously, you're not going to do it unless you're doing it for the love. Otherwise, you're just going to make yourself unhappy because you end up getting frustrated that it's a bad poker. But it's a really, really, really good way to spend your time if you love it, you know? Because right. when we don't have, like, yeah, instead of working jobs, we're going around being a part of a culture that we love, interacting with smart people all over the world, and it's fun. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not trying to be too negative about it, you know, like I love it and, and right now I'm I'm doing fine financially and stuff and that's not just because of the two big tournament wins or whatever, but that's that's gonna happen eventually too, you know. Like eventually you just spike a tournament and you're you're basically rich because of, you know, the, the lifestyle that you've been leading is like pretty cheap and stuff, so Yeah, I guess at the same time, you know, it's uh or it's unlike most careers in that you you can't count on a regular income 
as much. Like there's certain things, obviously the article writing, that's something you can count on a regular income. But as far as the tournament winnings, it's, uh, you know, that's less predictable. So it, do you well, have to... the, the key is to find something that's solid that you can live off, like whether it's writing or trading or, or whatever, you know, there's, there's plenty of different avenues that you can take to make money, like while playing magic. So. Okay. Patrick, right, and then once you spike an event, then now you're just ahead, you know? I see. Yeah, you exactly. Don't, you don't ever want to count. You don't ever want to, you don't want to have to count on winnings, you know? Because there's, there's, there's enough variance in magic that that's, then it, you don't want to turn magic into gambling, you know? Right. Okay. Right. And then your, your mood becomes decided upon like how well you placed in the tournament, you know, like if you, if you finished poorly and you, you were really depending on that money to pay rent or whatever, like, you know, now you got serious problems. So. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And, that, and that's got to be, you know, I guess you have to strike a balance and, and just really live off of a certain budget. I guess that's kind of uh, what I was. Uh, it's not yeah, even yeah. just about living off the ballot budget either. I mean, like people can, like you can make money, whatever you do, you know, like, I mean, when you're playing magic, there's, you have a variety of avenues for having money come in. I don't think you actually have to live some sort of a more stringent lifestyle than, than say most people with jobs. I mean, like I'd like to like, I mean, like not speaking on too many random other pro magic players, but there are a number of pro magic players who do better, who make more money financially than, than you know, an awful lot of people especially in this economy where there's people who are working 40-plus hours a week doing something that they might not necessarily love right now just because they got to do what they got to do to take care of their family or they got to do what they got to do for right now to get them to, you know, to, uh, to maintain while they try to get to where they're going. In Magic, we're talking about a situation where even though they're spending how many nights in hotels, buying how many plane tickets, or uh, traveling all over the place, doing all these sorts of things. And that's not a cheap lifestyle. That's right. not a, that's it's, but you, uh, but if you're stable and you're just building things, you can do more than, than just try to pay an entry fee. And if you win, great. I mean, there's a lot more going on in magic, you know? Right. Another option is just having a job, you know, like, yeah, there's no reason why you can't have a job. The, being a full-time grinder isn't for everybody. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that worked. You know, it's just like the, uh, you know, knowing you guys are, are full-time grinders. So, uh, you know, I, I guess it's something I've always wondered about. So I guess that's everything we have uh, for this week. You guys have anything you wanted to add? Not especially. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for being on the show and, uh, you know, s- spending your evening with us and, you know, going through a snowstorm, Jerry. <laughs> I really uh, appreciate the, the dedication and everything. You're a trooper, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so, yeah, watch for uh, Jerry's book. You know, watch Star City for the year in review. And look for, I guess, I mean, you will definitely, hear, you guys will definitely hear about it when the uh, when we get something ready musically. But uh, Sounds great. Um, the one I'm really excited for is Jerry's book, because I think this is going to be, I think that's going to change the game a little bit. Yeah, it's like, going to be groundbreaking. It's when he's, I mean, I guess not necessarily doing it justice yet because don't want to reveal too much, but he's definitely doing something that nobody magic's really done yet. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to have kind of a powerful impact on people because uh, Jerry 
where he came from, the things he's gone through, the things that an awful lot of people can relate to. And it's, uh, he's not exactly had it delivered to him on a silver platter, but he made it, you know, he made it through and, and the transformation inside of himself has just been pretty, pretty epic. And, and I'm just so proud to even be witnessing what he's been working on because kind of a moving tale. So definitely watch for that, man. Yeah. That's, uh, that's going to be the event in a couple of months. It's definitely exciting, and it's only, you know, what, we have six weeks away, I guess, roughly that, uh, six, seven weeks away till, till the uh, Pro Tour Paris. So, cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having us. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you guys are welcome back, anytime you have anything you want to announce or just talk about or whatever, uh, you know, we'd love to have you guys back. That's everything we have for this week. We are Yo! MTG Taps. Stop pitching, start brewing. Championships in NYC. Now to do my playtesting, I'm flying Geekali. Darkest Mage Killer, Refill and Easy. At the Freak Raptor, Coal LSV. Nazi, Waco, Tapa, Martel, and PV. Evo, D-Dubs, Dark, and Double, Furly, Jerry, T. On the road to out of three, next level magic, best I can be. Yeah, I got a list of my own ego like this. If you ask me, putting out for a shorty, ain't in SV. Rosewater, OMC, the remake of me. EOMTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at EOMTGTaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at EOMTGTaps.